Welcome to the Dutch Podcast, where integrative medicine providers and patients can learn about hormones and explore the body's most complex communication system. I'm your host, Dr. Jacqueline Smeaton, Chief Medical Officer for Dutch. In this season of the Dutch Podcast, you'll hear from some of the brightest minds in integrative healthcare as we share new perspectives on hormones and challenge a few common misconceptions you might have heard in some circles. We'll bring you cutting-edge education ranging from beginner level to advanced, along with the validated research to back it up. Be prepared to think differently and deepen your understanding of how functional hormone testing can profoundly change the lives of patients. Today's episode on the Dutch Podcast is something that I don't think we've ever really talked about before, but certainly is one of the most visible, outward-facing parts of our health, our hair. Dr. Alan Bauman is a really well-recognized physician in the field of hair restoration. And on today's podcast, we're going to talk all about hair care, hair health, why things go awry, and most importantly, what you can do to prevent hair loss or to treat it. So sometimes we'll do genetic testing, um, not to see if you're going to have hair loss, because sometimes we already know that's happening. Sometimes we do uh, elucidate that in a younger patient, may not be sure. But more importantly, kind of direct treatment. So this personalized precision medicine approach can certainly be taken with hair loss patients. Now, Dr. Bauman has really been at the forefront of this. So he's using a lot of therapies that you may have heard of, like red light therapy and PRP. We're going to talk about all of those things today. Even if you're not at that point where you are needing those types of interventions, we're also going to talk about general hair health, how you can make sure that your hair and your scalp are as healthy as can be. You'll be shocked to know how many different things can influence the health of your hair. So let's go ahead. I'm not going to make you wait any longer. Let's get started. Today's guest is Dr. Alan Bauman. He's an accomplished hair restoration physician, and he's really been known for his expertise in treating hair loss and really his pioneering work in the field. He started his medical hair loss practice, Bauman Medical, in 1997. And since that time, he's treated an astounding 33,000 plus patients done over 12,000 hair transplant procedures, administered over 12,000 PRP treatments. I mean, really, Dr. Bauman knows his stuff. He's really known worldwide for his advanced hair restoration technologies. His dedication to the field of hair restoration has earned him a lot of accolades throughout his career also. He is one of approximately 200 physicians worldwide who have achieved certification from the American Board of Hair Restoration Surgery, He's pioneered numerous technologies in the field, including minimally invasive FUE, follicular unit extraction, and so many others. So, Dr. Bauman, we are so excited to have you here with us today. Thanks, Jacqueline. It's really great to be here with you. So, I would want to start by just talking a little bit about hair loss, because this can be a multifactorial issue, and clearly, I'm sure you've probably seen it all when it comes to contributing factors, but who are the patients that you primarily work with and what are the reasons why they might be experiencing hair loss to begin with? Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, hair is really, really important, right? It's like ingrained in our mind and in our, our body. We want to look good and feel good. Obviously it's a, uh, an evolutionary development to be able to judge somebody from across the room to see if they're a good mate, right. To propagate the species. So hair is a highly metabolic hair follicles are a highly metabolic cell population that are responsive to many different factors of health and wellness, not just nutrition, but inflammation and stress and our genetics and so forth. Um, so we do treat men and women uh, across the age spectrum. 
Sometimes hair loss can happen traumatically due to an injury or trauma, but most of the hair loss that we see is actually hereditary. So it has a DNA or genetic basis, meaning that you're predisposed to what we commonly call male or female pattern hair loss. Androgenetic alopecia, male or female pattern hair loss is passed along through mom's side or dad's side. And so if there are members of your family, biologic family, that have thinning hair, receding hairlines or, uh, or bald spots and such, are, you know, it could be coming your way. That's so interesting. So the genetics, are they directly related to the hair follicle or are there other genes as well for things like hormone metabolism or, you know, other kind of imprinting that might be affecting that? Yeah. So genetics plays a huge role. So obviously the male pattern hair loss or, uh, or female pattern hair loss is a genetic sensitivity to your body's hormones. So we know, for example, in men, DHT, dihydrotestosterone is the main culprit. So what you inherit is that sensitivity to DHT and the DHT causes the follicles to miniaturize and weaken over time in that very, very specific pattern in men that we see receding hairlines, thinning in the crown and such. Uh, in women, we do see DHT or androgen issues, especially those who suffer from PCOS, for example, who are highly androgen sensitive, but also women at the ages of perimenopause and menopause can also have androgen effects on their hair. But it might look a little bit different to start. It might just be a diffuse thinning up in the front, a widening part line. And maybe later on, it has a receding hairline. She might have a receding hairline. Usually, the hair follicles around the sides and the back are immune or resistant to that DHT. But as I said before, hair follicles can be affected by a lot of things. And remember, color, curl, texture, mm -hmm. uh, your hair length, all of that is genetically predetermined. And also there are metabolic pathways, many of them we can elucidate through genetic testing that can impact the health of the hair follicle over time, as well as determine your response to treatments. So sometimes we'll do genetic testing, um, not to see if you're going to have hair loss, because sometimes we already might know that it's happening. Sometimes we do uh, elucidate that in a younger patient may not be sure, but more importantly, kind of direct treatment. So this personalized precision medicine approach can certainly be taken with hair loss patients. You know, figuring out what is the best treatment to start sooner so it becomes less of a trial and error, you know, less of tracking and, and, and treating over time and then re recalibrating, so to speak. So uh, genetic testing can sometimes be very, very helpful. Yeah, that's so desirable because it's, you know, probably I would imagine like with most areas of health, far easier to slow progression than it is to reverse damage that's already been done. I mean, I know we're going to talk about some things that you can do in your own clinic that can reverse the damage. And that's really exciting. Um, but definitely the sooner we can intervene, the better. Um, let's talk a little oh bit more God. about if, Yeah, if, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, like if you're, if, I was going to say like, yeah, if your listeners uh, are out there, probably the most important take home message is early intervention is key while the follicles are still viable and can be rejuvenated as opposed to requiring some degree of hair transplantation, obviously for areas that are severely depleted. Definitely. So I'm really kind of hearing from you that a lot of it is the sensitivity on the follicular side, like receptor sensitivity to DHT. Is that right? And then there's also how much DHT you kind of preferentially make based upon your metabolism. Are both of those factors when it comes to DHT? Well, definitely the receptor side, I think, is more important because there are people that live their entire life without any degree of hair loss, um, although that's pretty rare. Um, what you're inheriting is that sensitivity to DHT. So you could have two brothers. One could have, uh, you know, very, very high levels of testosterone or DHT and not have any hair loss because mm. you know, he's not genetically uh, predisposed. He's not sensitive, as you say, on the receptor side. 
And then you may have the other brother who actually has maybe even low or moderate levels of testosterone or DHT, but is highly sensitive and he's losing his hair in his 20s or 30s. But hair follicles are very, very, um, yeah, I would just say sensitive, especially in, in women per se, uh, to inflammation and stress and uh, even nutrition. Obviously, nutrients and fuel are really, really critically important if you're going to build a hair fiber because right? hair follicles are highly metabolic. They you know, require blood flow and nutrients and fuel. And uh, they're, they're very, very sensitive. If you have, let's say, diminished caloric intake, and very commonly today, we see not only just diets and, and nutritional restrictions uh, for weight loss, for example, but obviously medications for weight loss. Everybody thinks of uh, GLP-1 agonists like semiglutide and ozempic, but also bariatric surgery. And that, that weight loss that happens with those kinds of interventions can dramatically reduce the amount of hair that you have and mm -hmm. produced. That's so interesting. And I think one thing that I like to keep in mind is that we don't have all the data around that. When you talk about restrictive diets or lower calorie diets, is it calorie related? Are there certain nutrient markers that become deficient that impact that? You know, it's so interesting when you or because you, you don't know whether even a change in diet, like a shift to keto, where you are, you know, minimizing the diversity of macronutrients or micronutrients could have the same kind of impact, even if you're consuming the same number of calories. We're just kind of at the beginning of understanding all of that, of how nutrition would have that kind of impact or how nutritional changes are perceived by the body. Oh, absolutely. And everybody's different. You know, what can work in one person uh, in terms of a supplement for hair regrowth, maybe not work in others. And, uh, you know, that's why we have the basic things that we do to make sure that, you know, vitamins like, you know, B-complex and such and biotin and so forth uh, are, you know, we have that curated actually under the Bauman brands and those like, you know, what we call the, the top performers uh, as well as collagen peptides and things like that, especially around the time of healing after hair transplant or during the time of PRP or regenerative treatment, let's say. Uh, but we also have other things that we provide, um, you know, probiotics and such or herbs like ashwagandha for stress and such. So there's a lot of different things out there um, that I think patients can utilize, but everybody's going to have a different response to it. So that's why it really requires a complete evaluation uh, and not just shooting from the hip and saying, oh, yeah, go take some biotin. Uh, that's, you know, that, that may not work for a lot of folks, mm -hmm. um, you know, and you have to spend some time. We spend about an hour with our patients getting a complete medical history, doing a very thorough medical exam of the scalp as well looking at hair density measurements with AI-powered microscopes. As we had mentioned before, maybe there's a DNA analysis that might be done. Uh, that might take a few days to come back, a week to come back, let's say. So there's a lot of different things that we do uh, in the practice of hair restoration to really figure out exactly what's going on so that we know, you know where to aim before we shoot. That's so important. And I mean, that's the distinguishing factor of that precision medicine approach, which is that you could easily make guesses and give people a treatment plan. But if you do that, you are basically trial and error, right? Versus doing a little bit more information gathering up front so you can make a more informed plan going forward. So I'm really interested about this because we don't talk that much about hair or really skin in general and, you know, the relationship there. But what are some of the other areas or factors that you look into? Like, I'm so curious about, you mentioned probiotics, like the impact of microbiome. I don't know how much data there is on microbiome of the scalp or the hair follicle, but there's data coming out in every organ system. So I have no doubt we're learning more there too. Oh, the microbiome of the scalp is critical. And, uh, you know, you just have to 
you know, think about what's the number one uh, best-selling shampoo uh, to understand. The, you know, dandruff shampoos like Head and Shoulders are extremely popular. I think they sell like you know a thousand bottles a minute or something like that. Uh, you know, here in the United States. So obviously, what does that mean? It means that a lot of people's scalp is inflamed or itchy or dry, and so that's really a microbiome dysregulation. So. Is it due to the decrease in sebum production or increase in sebum production? Is there something that's being dysregulated by our environment or our nutrients? Uh, you know, everybody's going to be have a different answer to that. But overgrowth of fungus essentially uh, is really what's happening when you have seborrheic dermatitis. And those uh, microorganisms feed off of the oils of the scalp. They, uh, they, get, they, they uh, live in those layers of exfoliated skin cells. And so I'm really, really keen on scalp health. In fact, I have an entire department called trichology department. Trichology is the, the study of the health of the scalp and the hair. And so I have a certified trichologist who can do different levels of examinations of the scalp, checking for inflammation and other signs and symptoms that there may be something going wrong up there. Um, and then we address it. We have uh, scalp makeover programs. We have interventions that we can apply in the office that can help cool down inflammation, increase blood circulation, normalize sebum production. And there are things that patients can do at home as well to help get them on the path of, of proper scalp health. Because, you know, it's really, really important. If, you're, if your scalp is inflamed, you're not going to grow good hair. Those inflammatory um, and, uh, um, biomarkers and cytokines that, that are produced during inflammation in the scalp can really dysregulate the hair follicle. And that's just not so good, right? We want a good environment for, for hair growth, whether we're trying to just grow hair naturally better or we're going to operate and perform hair transplant surgery in that zone. We want you to heal well. And so right. if there's excessive inflammation there. We got to get it cooled down. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So what are the other factors that you look at when you're doing an initial workup for a patient? What are the other rocks you have to uncover to see if patients need support in any other area? Yeah. So, I mean, once we've, uh, exam so we've gotten that medical history, how, what kind of hair loss do they have? Is it, is it a patterned hair loss? Is it a diffuse thinning? Is it a, a sudden shedding of hair? Is it something that's happened over weeks, months, or years? Is there hair loss in the family, right? That it can elucidate the different, uh, you know, diagnostic indicators, so to speak. And then, uh, as we said, looking at the scalp, is there inflammation in that area? One of the things that we see a lot of today, uh, aside from the genetic types of hair loss, is a frontal fibrosing alopecia in women, where women lose their eyebrows completely, the skin tone changes at the hairline and temples, they can recede their hairline pretty quickly, and basically lose all their hair around the temples and even the sideburn areas uh, within a matter of years. So, uh, you know, that's a dastardly condition. It's We don't know exactly what the trigger is, but we think it has to do with uh, moisturizers and some nanoparticles and sunscreen and things like that. Wow. That people be, eventually become reactive to, and it's an epidemic. And so again, if you're having, if you're a woman and you're seeing a receding hairline and it's happening fast, and maybe the skin feels a little bit smooth or looks a little bit pale and you start to see it thinning a little bit, like you see more veins shining through, these might be signs that you have some other type of uh, hair loss condition than just typical female pattern hair loss. And so we want to take a, a much closer look at that. That's scary. I mean, when you think about like that topicals can be causing that kind of reaction and it actually kind of opens up a big passion can of worms for me, which is, I mean, when we talk about hair products, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this because you have like phthalates and parabens and all of these surfactants in hair products and even the debate on like how frequently you should be washing your hair for a man or a woman. 
I want to get into the fancy stuff with you. I can't wait actually to talk about that. But I think our listeners would also love to know your thoughts about, you know, is there a scale of safety when it comes to hair products? And if you're struggling with hair loss, should we be rethinking whether we color our hair or treat our hair? Or, you know, can you talk a little bit about that just general approach to helping our hair be healthier? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, our scalp and hair changes, obviously, with age, as I mentioned, you know, sebum production, for example, is the amount of oil that your scalp produces. And just like your face, you wouldn't wash your face the same way as if you were a pimply teenager than when you're 65 years old. Uh, You know, you're going to take care of your skin a little bit differently. And the scalp, you know, treat your scalp uh, like skin because it is, (laughs) as they say. And so... Um, that's what my trichologist is really amazing at is really being able to figure out, you know, what's the proper hygiene frequency for you. So for some folks, uh, maybe twice daily shampooing is critical, especially if your scalp is oily and you work out Mm -hmm. or you're outside or using a lot of products, or maybe you're in, uh, you know, you're in the entertainment industry and you've got all kinds of things going on to your hair and you've got to clean that out. Um, but then again, if your scalp is very dry, you might need to shampoo a little bit less or use a shampoo that has less surfactancy or maybe even not use a shampoo at all. Some people do can, can get away with using what they call a co-wash, which is just a conditioner. But Never you have to be that. very careful because, yeah, the problem is with, with co-washes or conditioner washes, you could get an excessive buildup on the scalp and not really know that that's happening. And unless you use like a clarifying shampoo or something like that once in a while, you're really going to have a problem. And, and there have been huge lawsuits against some major uh, shampoo brands uh, that, or I should say conditioner and washing brands uh, for not cleansing the scalp and causing all kinds of hair loss to occur. So, uh, you know, it's, it's not an easy answer. And the answer is different for everyone, just like our diet, right? Our response to nutrient and fuel is different and it may change over time. So is the health of our scalp uh, changing over time, just like the rest of our skin. Mm-hmm. So it's, okay. it's a tricky question um, that has a complicated answer. Um, so it, I would just say, if your scalp doesn't feel right, maybe listen to it and get it checked out, you know? Yeah, well, I like that you have means to be able to evaluate that. And, you know, not surprising that it's not a one size fits all approach. So that's really great. Oh, it never is. I mean, we call, you know, that scalp treatment here in the office. We're like, oh, it's a scalp makeover. But the scalp makeover has 25 different recipes. Depends Mm -hmm. on what your situation is, you know. Absolutely. Um, But yeah. And then you were asking about, um, you know, should you color your hair? Obviously, there are things that you are doing, you know, with heat and chemicals that make your hair look beautiful, right? That's the whole idea. You wouldn't want to, to do something that would take away its aesthetic value. And remember... The hair follicle is that highly metabolic cell population. Its job is almost like a 3D printer to create that uh, hair fiber, right? That keratin fiber, which is what's so important. But once the keratin fiber or hair fiber is produced, it will never self-repair. So it can wear out if you are doing chemical, harsh chemical treatments to your hair, like maybe a straightening or perming treatment, or you're doing a Brazilian blowout you know, or you're doing uh, coloring on a regular basis, you could destroy the cuticle, that protective coating of the hair fiber, make it more permeable to moisture and make it more prone to breakage. It certainly could look dull. And so look, if your hair is broken and dull, it's going to lose its aesthetic value. But then there are other folks that can color and, and blow dry and, you know, you know, iron their hair on an ironing, ironing, ironing board and do fine. But the, the rest of us, uh, you know, we have to use those kinds of uh, beautifying treatments in more moderate mo- moderation, I should say. Okay. 
And is that that's more damage to the hair shaft? Like that doesn't necessarily Correct. affect the follicle. Is that right? So when we're talking about those kinds of treatments, so long as the salon isn't applying it to the scalp, which they're generally good about leaving a little bit of space, that shouldn't affect the future growth from that follicle, really just the look of the hair that's already grown. Correct. So it should okay. be applied to the hair fiber, right? But, you know, uh, er, you know, not a week goes by in my office where a patient doesn't come in and she might say, you know, the last time I had care color, it just felt like it was burning. Like I had so, this, you know, this heat sensation and inflammation and we can look at the scalp. And I, I've had patients come in who have had their scalp uh, burned so bad that their scalp was weeping, literally, you know, wow. like a, a, you know, yellow liquid coming out of the scalp as if it was a first degree burn. Um so that is certainly not a good environment for growing good hair. Yeah, obviously. got it. And so if, you know, and a lot of folks will say, oh, well, you know, my stylist just put a little bit of sugar or saccharin in my uh, sweet and low in my color and, and now my, my scalp feels fine. Well, you know, I don't know if that's really mitigating that inflammation or inflammatory process or it may just be hiding it. So, you know, you've got to be careful and trust your instinct. I mean, I'm no like oh, yeah. nerd hair stylist but like i've never heard of that saccharin in your hair color who knew oh no that's that's a very very that's very very common no. um if someone you know it, like yeah a, a colorist will tell you you know their, their client is sitting in the chair and, and they're saying oh yeah it's you know you burned me last time it really hurt it's you know it's burning it's itching um they'll often put sweet and low in the mix and sometimes that's that helps i don't know if it's changing the ph or not but but very oftentimes that will reduce that discomfort so that doesn't give you a full a free pass to uh, <laughs> to color your hair more often. But listen, absolutely coloring your hair, you know, nobody wants to be gray, and that's a whole nother conversation. So I can understand the desire for a youthful color and, and a youthful style. So great. Well, let's just play a shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit about some of the newer, like latest advancements that are going on in hair restoration right now. Some of these are things that we see crossover with rejuvenation of other tissues like PRP probably is the best example. I'd love to hear more about what you're doing and what you're really seeing amazing results with. Yeah, I think the major innovations fall into a couple of different categories. Um, in the more traditional category of medications, obviously, we now have compounded versions of medications to reduce side effects and improve efficacy. So the traditional medications, let's say even just Rogaine, which used to be applied to the scalp, kind of a messy, greasy, gooey bit of business. Now we have compounded versions that are uh, just more user friendly to the scalp. And so you can use it twice a day as you should. <clears throat> and then you can also use minoxidil now orally. So now through compounding, we can give you a microdose of minoxidil. Uh, that's a very, very safe way to get a powerful hair growth effect. But as you said in there, in the world of regenerative medicine, which is one of my favorite places to be, uh, I've been involved with regenerative medicine almost my entire career, uh, really starting with PRP in the practice um, well over 16 years ago and refining it over as you said in your introduction, about 13,000 treatments we've done so far. But the latest and greatest information on PRP is using the correct amount of platelets. So it seems like, you know, even from my office, I can throw a stone and hit about 10 medispas that offer PRP. But unfortunately, they just don't know what the dose is to get a positive and powerful effect on the scalp on a routine basis. And they're doing these series of treatments month after month after month. And sometimes it's working and sometimes it's not. And most of the time it's painful, which is terrible. So at the practice, we've de been able to uh, develop a process so painless PRP as a routine. We use a local anesthetic block very quickly into the scalp so it doesn't hurt when you have the PRP done. We prepare the PRP in a special way to preserve all the platelets. So we're going to do a dose of about 10 to 12 billion platelets in a single PRP. And we're going to apply that at the appropriate depth 
under the skin, first of all, it's going to be painless, um, but at the right location to get the powerful hair growth effect that's going to last for about 10 to 14 months. I was going to say that you, you can enhance that with different types of uh, adjuncts, for example, exosome therapy, which is really the upcoming rising star in stem cell therapy, which are basically the signals that stem cells produce, right? So the cells are actually in a you know FDA-approved uh, uh, laboratory, and those cells are in a, let's just say, a, a, a bioreactor, right? And then their signals are taken and separated and then quantified, sterilized, um, concentrated and frozen and sent to us. And so that can be used topically on the scalp and exosome therapy, as you probably have heard in the realm of skincare uh, and all actually all over the body is a very, very powerful cell signal treatment that we can provide for powerful hair growth. And that can be used also with hair transplants as well to accelerate mm-hmm. healing and recovery. So is that the kind of the path that you would go down normally would be kind of like that personalized investigation, maybe a medication approach, if that doesn't work, maybe more of an injected injectable approach and then move on to full replacement surgery if that's not enough? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, sometimes right off the bat, we know that we need to put some hair follicles back into position, right? And let's just, you know, traditional male pattern hair loss. We've got to fix the hairline. Um, But we know that there's some thinning going on in the crown. It may be visible, maybe not. If the thinning is not visible, but it's measurable, then we're going to need treatments such as medications or laser light therapy at home, red light therapy, or PRP in the office, and some other therapies that are similar to that to help protect the existing hair. So very often, if you're having a hair transplant, the transplanted hair is, you know, pretty lasting. I mean, it's relatively permanent, Mm -hmm. but it's your other hair that's not. So we have to combine, you know, really in parallel with transplantation, these medical therapies to help protect the function of the follicles that are at risk. Okay. And tell me a little bit more about the transplantation surgery. What does it entail? Is it replacement of a section of skin or is it actually like just a follicular replacement? Yeah. So most people, when they think of hair transplants, unfortunately, they think of these pluggy, probably painful procedures back from the 1980s and 90s um, or strip yeah, harvest late night where they're TV. taking a big chunk of skin, you know? Right. right. So today's technology is totally different. It's much less invasive. And so what we're doing now is we're taking as literally as small as a single hair follicle at a time from the back of the scalp and the sides where the hair is relatively permanent, as I mentioned before, immune primarily to the DHT. Uh, and we're redistributing those hairs in large quantities, but using an artistic approach. So creating a hairline design or shape that flaunts the frame of your face going to be different for men and women. It's going to be different no matter what your age is and your desire for restoration. And then we're going to angle those follicles in such a way and put them into the scalp in such a pattern that it looks like mother nature created it. So it doesn't look contrived. Um, And so today's transplants are going to be aesthetically beautiful and really turn the clock back, whether you have a receding hairline or receding in the temples or you're thinning in a particular area and you found out that you've got to kind of comb over that area. Um, You know, a hair transplant when performed properly is, you know, it's, it's a miracle. I mean, it's a regrowing your own hair in the areas that you've lost. And, uh, you know, there's nothing better than looking in the mirror and seeing your hair growing like it was five or 10 years ago. I mean, that's absolutely. Yeah. I don't think miracle would be an understatement. Like, I mean, I work with women of reproductive age for the most part. So the most concerning hair complaint I typically get is that like four month postpartum hair shedding that happens for so many women, which I'd love your thoughts on that too. It's a little different because it is kind of a normal physiological change from my understanding based upon kind of the timing of the hair follicle and during pregnancy, they're all kind of kept in the on position 
you maybe you can describe this better than I can. But my point is, it's incredibly distressing for women to think about losing their hair. No, absolutely. Any bit of shedding. I mean, it's the physical sign that like your hair, your crown and glory is coming out. And um, the interesting thing about shedding is that sometimes it can occur when you start a hair growth treatment. People are like, oh my God, I tried this oh, treatment and it got worse. But what that means is that the follicles that got turned on are pushing out the old resting hair. And so you mentioned hair cycling. Hair follicles don't live and grow your whole life like your fingernails do. They turn on and turn off. And so can you imagine if like one of your fingernails just kind of fell off and then started to regrow a couple of months later? I mean, that would be kind of crazy. But that's yeah. what hair follicles do. They turn off, they rest for a few months, and then they turn on again. And that's normal. So about 50 to 100, sometimes even up to 200 hairs a day can be actually be normal. Hopefully they're being replaced by those new hair shafts from the follicles that are turning back on. And so for women who are in pregnancy, those high levels of hormones are keeping the hair follicles in the growing phase, extending that growing time so they're not shedding as much. Their hair is getting thicker and more uh, beautiful and longer, obviously, as they go. And then, boom, childbirth happens, hormones crash back down, and about six weeks later, those ratios of resting to growing hair follicles return to what a quote-unquote normal level would be, and then you get a shed. So... Hopefully the shedding slows down and stops after you said it started, like you notice eight weeks, I say six to 12 is typically the shedding phase. Usually within a month or so it's back to normal. Um, but many women never get back to their normal head of hair, what they had before when they were, before they got pregnant. Um, and in those cases, that's where we call, we're called into action to try to figure out what's going on. Is it a hereditary process? Did the shedding from childbirth reveal that process? And how well are you rebounding from that? Um, those are all measurement-based things that we can tell over time. But I mean, shedding I, is, or is called telogen effluvium, and that's a whole discussion yeah. in and of itself. You could have shedding from general surgery, operation, so uh, a cosmetic procedure like a, a brow lift or a nose job or breast augmentation could cause some shedding. You can also have shedding from high fever. COVID is notorious for triggering a shedding phase. Um, if you have a severe allergy attack or you're jet lagged, um, I've seen shedding phases triggered by vaccination. Um, you know, we've treated over a thousand COVID related hair loss patients within the past couple of years. And some of them are dealing with long COVID shedding, meaning that just going through waves and waves of shedding that just doesn't seem to stop. Yeah. I ended up, I went through that actually my first year of med school, which I don't know if that was related to stress or so much exposure in the gross cadaver lab because it's like formalin and all of the preservatives. So some combination of it was nasty. It did come back, thankfully, but it is so scary. And I mean, it's so interesting. And I'm grateful that there's providers like you out there who address this, because I think a lot of times patients get brushed off by their general providers, because this is not a life-threatening condition, right? It's not, but it's so impactful on people's well-being. And I think it gets a lot of times swept under the rug, which is why you see booms of collagen on TikTok being sold with these massive viral catches. Because if you've ever experienced this before, it can be really scary. And, you know, it, there's not a lot of places to go for good information. No, absolutely. Um, I mean, look, it may not be a life-threatening uh, condition, but it's a quality of life-threatening condition. Absolutely. And so, you know, uh, when you see, like I said before, when you see your hairline changing or you're seeing those gobs of hair coming out, you know, from your either your recovery from COVID or something like that, I mean, it's very distressing. 
And, uh, you know, we're just, like I said, hair follicles are a very emotional organ. Um, you know, we say that in the practice and, and very often, even when the patients are here, uh, in consultation, you know, the patient may be tearful and then, you know, my nurses and my team, are, they're crying. We're all, we're, we're all crying. You know, we want, you know, we understand that, uh, just how important hair is, uh, for that person who wants to keep their hair because it's, it's not like, um, you know, I guess the body considers it a luxury item, right? So if you're starving or you have nutri nutrient deficiency, your, your body's naturally going to push those nutrients to other more vital organs than your hair follicles. But, um, you know, it's a vital organ for us. I mean, we want to see our hair beautiful. It's natural to want to groom ourselves. And uh, I remember from my psych class that one of the most, uh, this is years and years ago, right? Psych psychiatry and medical school, that one of the most common signs of schizophrenia in the hospital is, you know, when the, when the patients stop taking care of their nails and their hair. And so, uh, you know, it's, it's a sign of, of, of a psychiatric disorder if you don't care about your mm. hair. And, yeah. uh, but it can cause a lot of distress. Young men who are leaving the house uh, with a baseball cap on 100% of the time. I mean, think about their limitations in terms of job interviews and their social activities. Um, you know, it can be it can be very, very uh, restrictive if you're worried and concerned about your hair. And it's easy for somebody to say, oh, just get over it or no, your head look, hair looks fine. But if you know your hair is changing, um, that can weigh heavily. And there's a lot of anxiety and depression and even suicidal thoughts we've seen due to hair loss. And uh, I mean, look, it's the same as acne. I mean, there, there are kids, you know, in teenage years and even in their adults, adult acne in their 20s, uh, it's severely depressing. Skin care is how we present ourselves and hair care as well to the world. And when that's interrupted and not under our control, we feel helpless. And uh, that's one of the things that we're able to do in the practice is really provide that help so that we can preserve that function of the hair and we're hopefully restore it. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, but yeah, it's, it's a quality of life issue. Maybe it's not life threatening, but quality of life threatening for sure. Absolutely. I mean, when you look in the mirror, you want that reflection to show you the way that you feel inside. Right. So I think when there's that mismatch, it can be really unsettling for people. So like I said, really grateful that there's solutions in this area that are really addressing the root cause as well. Um, I'm so grateful Absolutely. for you spending root time with us today. Yeah, great. Um, so I'm so grateful that you spent some time with us today and teaching us a little bit more about hair and hair restoration and what options are out there. If people are interested in learning more, where can they learn more about you or get more information about your clinic? Yeah. So if you're out there suffering from some hair loss, you're noticing mm -hmm. that your hair is shedding, your hairline is receding, there's less coverage up there on the scalp, you've got to kind of comb over the area, or even if you have loss of eyebrows or eyelashes or other locations um, due to trauma or injury, you've got to get to a, a, a surgeon. You've got to get to a physician who can evaluate your situation. So the journey starts at baumanmedical.com. B-A-U-M-A-N medical.com is where I've got over a thousands and thousands of pages that I've written over the past 25 years on hair loss and what to do about it. Hundreds and hundreds of hours of video, just not only educational videos and news videos and things such as that. Um, podcasts obviously uh, are a big part of how we get the information out. But you can, even if you just want to ask a question, you can go to baumanmedical.com slash ask and just ask any question you would like. Uh, if you're a provider and you're seeing someone with hair loss, uh, please let them know that there's help out there. And we collaborate with dermatologists. We collaborate with primary care doctors, concierge physicians, anti-aging physicians. Very often, 
For example, anti-aging physicians are prescribing hormone therapy to their patients, and they may not realize that for men and for women, increasing that testosterone could have that side effect of accelerating hair loss. And if you don't have that conversation ahead of time, uh, you know, you're going to be in for a, a, low, a heap of trouble, as they say, um, you know, when the patient comes back and uh, you didn't warn them about the acceleration of their natural genetic male or female pattern hair loss. We also have a hair coach training program, which is now either online or in person. And at Hair Coach, uh, you know, you can go to hairlossclass.com if you're a beauty professional or baumanprpclass.com if you're a medical provider to learn more about hair loss and what to say and what to do if someone is coming to you with hair loss. And you can make that part of your practice. It could be a minor part. It could be informational only. You could provide treatments, absolutely, and also learn how to treat and track and measure the results of those therapies that you're recommending over time. So hair, our hair coach program has been around for over 15 years. We have hundreds and hundreds of graduates from all walks of life and walks of medicine, I should say, and international multi, um, you know, continents and countries from around the world have come to Boca Raton, Florida. And so I guess that would be my last thing is that no matter where you are in the world, you can always consult with me by home. Uh, if you're at home or on your phone, through a virtual consultation. And nearly half of our patients start their hair restoration journey that way. And that could be initiated at the website as well. So you don't have to be local to South Florida to get some help for hair loss, I guess. But it is a good reason to have to travel to South Florida. You don't need it. Maybe who needs a reason to go there? It's such a beautiful spot, Boca. Boca Raton is beautiful. <laughs> we'll be sure to put the link um, in the show notes. So if you'd like more information on Dr. Bauman and his clinic, you can definitely check that out. And thank you so much, Dr. Bauman. Thanks, Jacqueline. It was a pleasure to be with you. Thank you so much for tuning into season three of the Dutch podcast. We'll be taking a brief break from releasing new episodes while we work on new and exciting hormone education courses and materials to help you profoundly change the lives of your patients. In the meantime, visit us at dutchtest.com to become a provider and gain access to exclusive hormone education like our new Dutch interpretive guide, in the Mastering Functional Hormone Testing course, a self-paced online course designed to help you become the hormone expert. If you enjoy listening to the Dutch Podcast, please consider sharing your favorite episode with a friend. Also, stay connected with us by following Dutch Test on Instagram and Facebook, where you'll find even more news, education, and provider resources. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back soon.